So uh, today we have um, the joy of starting a new preaching series um, today. Uh, we are starting a series that is going to lead us through the next five Sundays until the end of summer. And, uh, and, and the series is called Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. And uh, I want to read some verses, actually, from the New Testament. Interestingly, I'm not preaching today. I'm just going to kind of intro the series, then hand over to Ben Green, who's speaking this morning. Um, but but these verses are some of, there are, there are a handful of, well, there's a lot of occasions, but this is one of the ones that's at the top of the list for me of occasions where I read something in the Bible and I just think, oh, I wish I could have been there. Like I, I, I would have been, I would have given a, a lot of, something that costs a lot to me to have been a fly on the wall or just a third fourth person in this little dynamic that goes on uh, in the New Testament because it, it just for me I just would have loved to have been there it's the story uh, commonly known as the road to Emmaus so it's on the, the day when Jesus comes back to life we read it in um, in Luke 24 the day of the resurrection it says from verse 13 that same day two of Jesus's followers were walking to the village of Emmaus seven miles from Jerusalem as they walked along they were talking about everything that had happened um, and uh, as they talked and discussed these things uh, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. So you've got two of Jesus' disciples who were walking on this village uh, from Jerusalem to this village of Emmaus, seven miles. Jesus suddenly appears amongst them, but they don't recognize him. He asks them, says, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things that have happened there these last few days. Then Jesus, <laughs> brilliant response, says, watch things, wink, wink. Uh, it's a, uh, and then they reply, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers uh, were at the tomb early this morning. They came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then this is the verse that, that, that just kind of gets me. It says this, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. That's basically the entire Old Testament explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey now I don't know about you but like I, I don't know how long it doesn't say at what point Jesus appeared on that road um, kind of with them but they're on a seven mile journey and at some point he arrives and for a good chunk of that journey until they arrive at their destination you have the newly resurrected Jesus giving them a run through of the entire Old Testament and explaining to them all the different references 
to himself. For me, I, I would pay a lot of money to have been there for that talk. That must have been one of the best like teaching moments ever in history. Jesus pulling out from the Old Testament all the references to himself. We know, don't we, that, that Jesus is the culmination of the entire Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And throughout the Old Testament, we get these glimpses, these sometimes they're really obvious and blatant. And it's like, wow, that, that just mirrors Jesus perfectly. Other times they're kind of hidden from view and sometimes caught up in some cultural stuff that we need to explore and, and can kind of be pulled out um, to us. But, but the entirety of the Old Testament is there pointing towards the coming Messiah and then Jesus fulfills that when he comes to earth, when he lives his life, when he dies the death he dies, and when he comes back to life again. It's all pointing towards Jesus. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring five different characters in the Old Testament, or, or kind of some of them are, are kind of characters with events tied to them that in some way points to the coming Jesus. This series is called Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. And this morning, uh, I'm delighted to introduce Ben Green, who is who is making his preaching debut this morning, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And he is going to uh, do our first talk in the series. So over to you, Ben. Thanks. Thanks, Caleb. That's a, gosh, what an introduction. Preaching debut. Thank you. And, and good morning. I am yeah, absolutely delighted to be uh, with you all this morning. Um, as Caleb says, I'm Ben. Hello. Uh, if we don't know each other, um, I've been coming to Gateway now with Katie for about 14 years now, and um, we absolutely love it. And we've had the privilege of bringing up our three little boys here as well. And uh, I'm really excited about this, this new series that Caleb's um, just introduced. I think it's a great opportunity for us to dive into some familiar stories um, and to see how they all point back to the cross, how they all point back to Jesus. Now this morning <clears throat> I've got the uh, the task and the opportunity of unpicking a little bit of Moses. Now obviously there's a huge amount here and I, you know I'm sure you're already aware there are so many parallels between the lives of, of Moses and of Jesus. If like me you grew up in a church context um, you'll have heard lots of these stories before. In fact I was even tested on these stories. I, I, I grew up in a Baptist church and uh, and we actually had scripture tests when I was in Sunday school. It was a real thing and uh, I remember being tested on my knowledge of Moses so hopefully I can bring some of that um, this morning. But the key really is this and, and Caleb's, Caleb's shown that to us already but the, the Old Testament is more than just a book of stories. It's even more than just prophecy about the Messiah coming. As we see this morning, the Old Testament is a witness to who Jesus is. Jesus brings perfection to the work that Moses begun. That's really key this morning. So I just want, as we go into the next, the next, next few moments together, just keep that with you, that Jesus is the perfecter. Jesus brings everything that God started to completion. Now, uh, Moses, okay, so Moses is a fascinating character. Um, and many of you will be aware that actually didn't even start his kind of key ministry really until he was 80. So uh, it was a lot of waiting for Moses, but then uh, some incredible stories that God works through him. We're going to look at some of those parallels between the two lives. I haven't got time to go into all of them, but we'll look at some of the key ones. And what I'd like to do this morning is draw out three 
key parallels between Moses and Jesus and, and finish just by seeing how that comes together in, in God's big plan, really. So first point is this. God is our sovereign. So we start just by having a look at this parallel between the birth of Moses and the birth of Jesus. Both Moses and Jesus were born at a time of political unrest. Both Moses and Jesus were born and immediately had their very life threatened. Moses, we read in Exodus, was born into Egypt at a time when the Pharaoh was feeling really frightened of the, of the Hebrew people. Where this fits in a kind of chronology is that actually uh, Joseph had settled in Egypt, had brought his people into Egypt, and they had flourished, flourished so much that at this point in the story, when Moses is born, we're actually told in the Bible that um, the Israelites have come to, sorry, the Egyptians have come to dread uh, the Israelites, and the Pharaoh does not know Joseph. He was so frightened that the Pharaoh ordered that all male boys that are born to Hebrew families should be thrown into the Nile, thrown to the river and killed. We see in Exodus uh, God's sovereign power. We see a God who steps into this and protects Moses. Moses's mother, which is a great story, we all know this one, puts him on the river uh, and is found by the very daughter of the Pharaoh. It doesn't stop there. The Pharaoh's daughter gives Moses via her handmaid back to Moses's mother to bring him up. So this is awesome. God in this in this situation gives Moses back to his own mother to bring him up and then places him at the heart of one of the well arguably the richest and most powerful civilization in the ancient world. Here we see that God is bigger. God is bigger than even rulers, even the most powerful nations. God steps in and his plans come to fruition for his glory. The story of Jesus, in comparison, of course, is probably the greatest story ever told. And we all know about the birth of Jesus. But here we see again Jesus Christ being born into a time when a people group were being oppressed. Not the, not the Egyptians this time, but the Romans. And they were waiting for a Messiah to come and set them free. Again, from the moment of his birth, Jesus's very life was threatened. And Mary and Joseph flee. Notice the parallel here. They, instead of, uh, we see Moses fleeing out of Egypt, uh, which we'll come on to in a minute. Jesus actually ends up fleeing into Egypt for a couple of years until King Herod dies. And then he returns back to Nazareth, where he grows up relatively peacefully with his parents. Again, some really clear parallels here. And we can see, as we start out this morning, that God is sovereign, that God is in control. God's sovereignty ensured that both Moses and Jesus, Jesus were protected and kept safe, regardless of those big political rulers around them. You see, no matter what's happening around us, the Bible tells us to trust in God. It's, it's, it sounds like a really simple thing to say, but how awesome that even in this current climate of COVID, when we look around our society, our politicians, our economy, and we have big questions, we might feel vulnerable, anxious, worried. We might have huge questions about what's coming next for us 
isn't it reassuring to know that we believe in the same God that Moses had? Somebody who came to Moses and said, I am. Simple as that, I am. I'm just, I'm God. It's the same God. I wonder how God's called you in the past. I wonder now in this current climate how God's calling you. He's calling you, even in this season. It might feel frightening, but he's still in control and he will use us. He uses us, faults and all, just like he uses Moses. We're going to look at this now. Moses was not perfect at all. So firstly, God is our sovereign. Secondly, God is our rescuer. Both Moses and Jesus were called to lead people to freedom. And through that, we see that God saves. I mentioned imperfections, and I mean, again, you'll know this, but Moses was no saint. In fact, Moses was a murderer, and he wasn't a very good one. In fact, if you, if you look in Exodus, at the beginning of Exodus, we see that uh, Moses spots an Egyptian overseer oppressing a fellow Hebrew, and he's so angry. He, um, he kills the Egyptian overseer. In fact, the Bible tells us that he glances to the left and he glances to the right before he does the deed. And he then hides the body clearly badly because it gets discovered the next day. Not only do the Egyptians uh, rebel against Moses, but his own people, the Hebrew people, uh, his people rebel against him and Moses flees. Moses flees to somewhere called Midian he leaves his home and his people and he settles down to work as a shepherd. Again, see the parallel. Jesus is a shepherd of men. Moses was a shepherd out in the desert. And Moses did this for a long time. Moses had to wait a long time until the Egyptian king dies. We see in Exodus 2, and I think we've got the words for this coming up on the screen. We see in Exodus 2 how the Israelites groan out. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And it's during this time that we see God choosing Moses. And again, another really famous story. God appears to Moses in a bush. It's on fire. And Moses is an old man by this point, don't forget. And God turns up and he literally says, I am sending you, faults and all. And the thing I love about Moses, he's, he's so, so down to earth and he's so real. And I guess so much like us, when God tells him to go into the heart of the most powerful ruler on the planet, Moses goes, no way, absolutely not. I can't do that. But God says, you absolutely can and you will. And it's during this time um, that God says this in, in Exodus, a little few verses further, in Exodus chapter 3, he says this. The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Three really powerful words there for me. So now go. Full of fear, um, anxiety, a real kind of self-doubt, Moses is sent by God to free 
his people from their bonds of slavery and the Egyptians. Moses has to trust God. And so do we. God is going to give us jobs that we don't want to do. That's the reality. It's not all, um, doesn't come with bells and whistles attached being a Christian. It's hard work. But we have to trust God, even though we feel inadequate. The Bible is clear that we are all sinful. In Romans, we see all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. However, as we see in 2 Corinthians, and I just want to bring these words up on the screen as well, because they're, they're fantastic. Our responsibility does not end there. We read in 2 Corinthians that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So, is that word so again, in him we might become the righteousness of God. We, you and I, Moses, we are therefore his chosen people. And we're called by God to build his church and do his work and live a life that brings glory to him. As we do this and live a life for him, his spirit will work through us and make us more like him. We see throughout Exodus a great testimony of how God works through Moses to rescue his people. We see a relentless pursuit of salvation. Again and again and again, the people get it wrong. But Moses doesn't give up and he uses, uh, sorry, God doesn't give up and he uses Moses to guide them uh, back to uh, God's law, God's word. I think it's really important here just to know, and this is a challenge for us, isn't it? It's really important here to know that Moses doesn't even start this until he's in his 80s. And Moses doesn't even get to enter this promised land. It's hard for us to hear that sometimes as Christians, but it's, it's true. We're not always going to get to do nice things that we want to do. In fact, we're not even going to get to always choose the timing. The timing is God's timing. And like my dad says, my dad always says this to me. He said, well, look at Moses. I'm still waiting. Moses was 80 when he started. So I've still got plenty of years yet. But thirdly, we might not even see the fruit of our labor. It's a great challenge for us as Christians. Moses leads the people out of slavery. Jesus, by contrast, came to do more than that. He came so that all people would have life and have life to the full. I just want to show you now the, the key piece of scripture this morning. This, for me, is really crucial as we look at how Moses foreshadows the coming of Christ. And we see in Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, Moses talking to the, again, to the Hebrew people. And he says this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. <laughs> After this in the Old Testament, which is was forward a few years here, Isaiah, who's one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, um, indicates uh, this coming Messiah. And again, another piece of key scripture here in Isaiah chapter 43, he references directly back to what God does in Moses but then draws our attention to a new thing. Let's have a look. God says this, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creator of Israel, your King. 
thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. See all that harking back to what God did through Moses in Exodus. And he says this, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You see, Jesus, perfect and righteous, the only man to never have sinned, came to set us free. Jesus, like Moses, came to liberate the people. The people at the time expected Jesus to liberate them from this oppressive group, the Romans this time. But no, Jesus came to do so much more. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ puts right what mankind through Adam and Eve in the garden got wrong right at the beginning. And it enables a way for us to be with God again. God is our rescuer and he's rescued us through Jesus. So finally, um, we've seen that God is our sovereign. is awesome. We can do anything regardless of what's going on around us. And he will. God is our rescuer. He saves. He led his people out of Egypt, but he sends Jesus so that we can all, Jew and Gentile, be saved. Finally, both Moses and Jesus are mediators of covenant. The old covenant and the new. And through this, we see that God's our lawgiver. Moses was handed the old covenant, the Old Testament, by God on a mountain, on Mount Sinai, and was tasked with ensuring the Israelites followed God's law. In Exodus chapter 19, and again, I think I've got this to come up on the screen, God tells Moses to say this to the Israelites. Now, if you keep, if you fully keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be in my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It's a great covenant, but unfortunately, um, when it was carried out by humans, simple humans, it went wrong. We see time and time again how the Israelites rebelled against God's word and failed to keep his commands. Thankfully, Jesus turns up and in Matthew we read that, like Moses, Jesus goes up onto a mountain to start his ministry, to start this new covenant. It's not Mount Sinai, but he does go up on a mountain to preach his sermon on the mount, another parallel. And this, this marks the beginning of his ministry. The writer in Hebrews, chapter 9, tells us this. In Hebrews, we read that Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Again, we see that direct link. What God started through Moses was brought to perfection by Jesus Christ. And then... Um, because of Christ, all may come before God, repent and be saved. And the next piece of scripture I just wanted to share before we finish in Romans chapter one, we read this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And again, look at this parallel. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So we've just seen there this morning three key parallels. First, by way of how God worked through 
the political crisis of their births, Moses and Jesus, we see that God is sovereign and he's still sovereign today. And the second parallel, the fact that Moses and Jesus are both called to lead people out of slavery, we see that God's our rescuer. God saves. And he's doing it now. Finally, we can see that God's our lawgiver. Both Moses and Jesus were mediators of covenant. God uh, decides the law that we live by. Ultimately, it's this Jesus brings to perfection the work begun through Moses. I just wanted to finish this morning before we move into a time of worship um, by thinking really about um, why this is so important. And Caleb introduced this to us um, a moment ago. The Old Testament scripture foreshadows God's promised Messiah. It's more than a story, it's more than prophecy. The Old Testament that leads through to a new covenant is literally a witness of who Christ is. How extraordinary it is that when Jesus came and walked on the earth, so many refused to see him as the long-awaited Messiah. So many were looking for this grand political leader, this army, this warrior to come and free them. Like Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. They were waiting for Jesus to defeat the Romans and lead them to freedom. They missed him. They missed him. We see in John chapter 5 how Jesus refers back to the authority of scripture as a witness for who he is. I think I've got these words to put on the screen here. John 5. Uh, Jesus literally says this. Um, he says, here we go. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me and there's a key word there witness yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life crucially what jesus is saying here is that scripture in the old testament is is a witness about who he really is a witness is somebody who has seen i'm a witness i have seen it here we see that God, through scripture, is the witness to who Jesus is. The eternal God, Father, Son and Spirit, saw what Jesus would be in history when he came. And because he saw, he could witness. As we read the scripture in the Old Testament, we come to know God better. Through his spirit, he shapes us and we grow closer to him. Jesus is really clear that as we do this, it's really important as we read about who he is and the Trinity in the Old Testament, we will come to know him. And when he comes back, we'll recognize him. So as we come to finish and as we come to approach a time of worship together, my heart and my prayer is that as you open up the Old Testament again, maybe go back and read the story of Moses, you'll see Jesus there, front line and center. You see, Coming to know God for who he really is means coming to know Jesus. I wonder this morning, do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? Do you believe that God is sovereign? And do you know that he's your saviour? The measure of truly knowing God, loving God and honouring God is knowing, loving and honouring Jesus for who he really is.
So as we come to worship this awesome God now, the same God who said to Moses all those years, thousands of years ago, I am, as we come to the same God, I want to leave you with a few words from one of my favourite hymns. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness, the great, unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. Thanks for listening.